0: And uh, Starting Strength Radio marches on. We are going to talk about some stuff we discussed last week. Not long, though. Just a a few little things. I'm actually more surprised that people were not uh, uh, showing up in defense of my indictment of the bottom 3% of you idiots that post on YouTube comments. Uh, Everybody jumped to the defense of... uh, transgender athletes but nobody took up for the bottom three uh, percent that surprised me. I mean I understand why you didn't because it's transparently obvious that we're dealing here with the bottom three percent if you post on YouTube comments but uh, uh, you know it it uh, I, I just your lack of compassion uh, shocks me really it does uh, got some comments about my little drawing last week, said that it was, uh, said that it was, uh, what'd they say? Crayon. Crayon. Is That what it said crayons, done with crayons. It was done with this green highlighter, so I fixed it for you. Okay? I hope that clears things up. Now, so let's, let's get all this over with. We were talking about, uh, trans women in women's sports last week, and, uh, uh, it was, uh, the, actually the, the thing was surprisingly well received. I was, I was shocked that I didn't get a single death threat and, uh, and, you know, I was kind of hoping for a death threat. You know, everybody else, every, people in New York city and California are all, uh, uh, they're disturbed when they get death threats. I, I think it'd be cool to get a death threat, you know? how many. Nick, just out of curiosity, how many how many handguns are in this room right now with us? Four. Four? <laughs> Four handguns in the room right now. Thirteen knives. Thirteen knives. I've got three knives on me right now. Look, motherfucker, if you get to me, I had it coming. Okay? But I'll get you first. Go ahead and threaten my ass. That'll be fun. All right. Now, uh here. <laughs> <laughs> there are some things that were turned in this week that that have uh, that that happened since the last podcast or that occurred that I was not aware of since we we videoed this thing last time uh uh there was uh just in no particular order there was a uh, an evolutionary biologist uh speaking at portland State University some of you may have seen this uh where uh several of the students got up and walked out of the deal which is you know no doubt a tragic loss to the quality of the subsequent conversation when this man had the temerity to say that there were physical differences between men and women and uh, uh, that's that it, that's uh, I mean and these people were dressed up as one of them was dressed as a pirate the other one is a is a Russian deckhand, one of them looked like a serial killer. Some guy was trying to act like he was a Vietnam vet and all this other shit. It was just, it was just absolutely amazing for suggesting he was a Nazi and a fascist. They actually said Nazi and fascist. The, the, the biologist was a woman. Yes, yes. The evolutionary biologist was a woman. How do you call a woman a Nazi to begin with? Through the fair gentle sex, right? Now well, they had female Nazis. I've seen movies about Nazi prisons and women and stuff. Uh, there's a whole genre of porn about that, I believe, isn't there? Seems like I've seen something like that. Uh, calling her a Nazi and a fascist for stating that men and women are different. <coughs> well, my first observation would be. That if men and women are not different, then why do you want to change? Someone will have to clear that up for me. And if you're, we're all the same, why change? Right. And then we had some people that were interested in, once again, me going on Joe Rogan's show. Look, I don't get to go on Joe Rogan's show. You know, just because he's been had this suggested to him 10,000 times, he I'm not going on Joe Rogan. Just lead, let it go. Quit bothering the man about this. Don't stop sending him shit on Twitter. Stop sending him emails. Leave him alone. He's busy, right? And then somebody suggested that I go before Congress and state this so utterly obvious truth. Well, you don't get to just walk into Congress and state utterly obvious truths. Because if you do go before Congress and state an utterly obvious truth, they will kill you. They don't want you to state utterly obvious truths in front of Congress. I believe that there's a hearing going on this afternoon, even as we tape this thing, where a man is going to state utterly obvious truths, and he will be berated for it. He'll—they will attempt to destroy his reputation and destroy his life and all this other shit. So you don't go in front of Congress and state utterly obvious truths. It's pointless because Congress, politicians, and the media are the people we talked about last week, and they are the ones that have caused all of this problem uh, with respect to this rather simple issue. And the rather simple issue is that men and women have different physical baselines. And those baselines come from in utero exposure to testosterone. We talked about this last week at length. Those of you that didn't see it last week, uh, we have separated out a clip of, uh, of that information uh, that is separated from the first 20, what was it, twenty-three minutes 28, minutes, twenty-eight minutes, uh that was starting strength news. And then we uh uh we put up by itself, it's about fifty minutes long. You need to go watch it. I thoroughly discussed the situation then and I don't uh feel the need to revisit any of this again. <clears throat> and some of you are asking me questions on, on YouTube. If you want to ask me questions, Uh, You need to come to startingstrength.com. There is a thread about this issue on my Q&A. That's where I answer questions. I will not post about this on Facebook, on Twitter, or on YouTube comments. Certainly not on YouTube comments. If you want to talk to me about it, then you need to come on our website where we answer questions. This is where the discussion takes place. is at startingstrength.com. It's a moderated forum. Uh, So you come on my moderated forum and give me a death threat. I'll just edit it out because it's just, you know, that kind of entertainment. We just don't have time for it. So uh, uh, talk to us there, Startystrength.com forums, Mark Ripito Q&A. And uh, we can deal with it at that level. Now, we didn't really uh, get a chance to uh, review the literature on this, and I know that for a lot of you, scientist, scientist, scientism guys, uh, the literature is the holy bastion of the truth. The literature, uh, peer-reviewed literature, is just as political as everything else in the world. And if you somehow think that the literature is sacrosanct, then you don't know anything about literature, all right, here is a paper, for example, Uh, this was published in 2017, Uh, it's a Springer publication, like all of them are, it's Sports Medicine, is the name of the journal, Uh, actually it says it was published online, 2016, October 3rd, 2016, so it probably went into print in 2017. Uh, this is, uh, uh, the title of the, of the paper is, Sport and Transgender People, A Systematic Review of the Literature Relating to Sport Participation, Sport Participation and Competitive Sport Policies. Note they are using the singular European version of the word and not sports. Uh, this is uh, more lofty, obviously. When you say sport, when you mean sports, you obviously are credible. Okay, let me read you the conclusion uh, from the abstract. And this is, uh, this is just fascinating. Uh, and I want you to reflect on the implications this has for the literature. Verbatim, conclusion. Currently, there is no direct or consistent research suggesting transgender female individuals, parentheses, or male individuals, close parentheses, have an athletic advantage at any stage of their transition, parentheses, e.g., cross-sex hormones, gender-confirming surgery, in parentheses, and Therefore, competitive sport policies that place restrictions on transgender people need to be considered and potentially revised. Now let me point out a couple of things about this astonishing conclusion. Uh, There is no direct or consistent research suggesting transgender female individuals or male individuals have an athletic advantage at any stage of their transition. And, therefore, competitive sport policy, blah, blah, blah. An advantage over who? Why, that seems to be missing from this conclusion. An advantage over who? Right? And they're actually saying that female individuals or male individuals have an athletic advantage at any stage of their transition. What if they're not transitioning? What if they're just males and females? Not in transition. Do we have any sports without a male and female division? That the highly celebrated authors of this paper, Bethany Alice Jones, John Arcellus, Walter Pierre Beaumont, and Emma Haycraft are not apparently not aware of the fact that there are men's and women's divisions in all sports. But here they're saying that female individuals or male individuals Uh, There's no direct evidence suggesting that they have an advantage over each other. Yet, it exists. And also, they mention cross-sex hormones and gender-confirming surgery. Now, by cross-sex hormones, you don't happen to mean testosterone, do you? Do Ms. Jones, Mr. Arcellus, Mr. Beaumont, and Ms. Haycraft... Uh, Remain unaware of the fact that testosterone supplementation for sports is illegal and against the rules of all organized sports, especially at the Olympic level. Do they not understand that there's a reason why these substances are banned? Banned substances are banned for a reason, testosterone being one of the banned substances, a cross-sex hormone. Boys and girls, this is why the literature is bullshit. Okay. Not all of the literature is bullshit. You know, there are probably some good physics papers. But there's there's just, you know, the exercise science literature is kind of like that. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah. Here this is this is an interesting one. This is an interesting thing here. Uh, USAPL has has said that they're going to ban people who are transgender from competing. And I want to point out the fact that, as I talked about last week, the United States Strength Lifting Federation has come up with a perfectly equitable way around this that doesn't ban anyone. It doesn't ban anyone. USAPL since their inception, has been about not PL, but about drug-free. Their primary emphasis since their inception has been uh, opposing the use of drugs, and this clouds their judgment because they're going to ban people on this basis, and they do this all the time. USSF allows transgender people to compete in the open division. It restricts the women's division to congenital females, but a congenital female can compete in the women's division, and anybody else can compete in a USSF meet without being banned in the open division. Now, I don't know how you get more fair than that, okay? If you have uh, advantages with respect to male baseline performance or you are transitioning with the use of testosterone, you can't lift in the women's division because that's not fair for all of the reasons we discussed last week. But you can lift in the open division. Now, why doesn't USAPL adopt a different policy for their divisions, and save all of this heartache. We are leading the way here. United States Strength Lifting Federation leads the way. This is the only answer to this problem, and I suggest that others need to follow this lead because it's, it's going to save everybody a lot of trouble if you want to maintain women's sports. This is the only way to do it. So think about that, okay? Now, uh, oh, I also note that CrossFit is going to start permitting trans women in the women's division of the CrossFit Games. Doesn't the CrossFit Games have a have have prize money? They do. There's going to be a lawsuit, isn't there? Wonder when that'll happen. Well, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, and then one more little thing before we move on here. Uh, I've got, uh, and we've been, we, we'll, we'll put these links up uh, somewhere. Wh- where did we put those last time? At the end of the, no, or in the transcript? The link in the transcripts go on startingstrength.com. Link in the transcripts under go podcasts. on startingstrength.com under podcast. So you can, if you want this, Stuff I've got on the table here printed out. The link to it will be available. Uh, Here's a few things that came in over the week. Uh, A uh, Franklin Pierce University runner by the name of C.C. Telfer competed on the men's team in early 2018 before switching to the women's team 15 months later. And since... uh, That switch, Telfer has dominated the NCAA Division II competition, Division II competition, and led the women's team at Franklin Pierce University into the top 25 for the first time ever. Uh,. Uh, it, 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 it's interesting, Telfer is one of the fastest runners in the NCAA Women's Track and Field Division in any division, not just D2, but D1 as well. And, uh, you know, the, the competition, uh, uh, this, Telfer competed on Franklin Pierce's men's team as recently as January 2018 again. This is 15 months ago. This individual was competing uh, in the men's division, and now uh, uh, the women's team that she is on is dominating the women's division. Uh, But here's the interesting thing about this article, and the primary reason I've saved it for you. The NCAA in 2011 published what they call an explainer. This is apparently like a position statement or something that is weighty, right? Uh, And they are uh, generously explaining to us fools that it is not well-founded, not well-founded is the quote, to assume that being born with a male body automatically gives a transgender woman an unfair advantage when competing against non-transgender women. Quoting, Transgender women display a great deal of physical variation, just as there is a great deal of natural variation in physical size and ability among non-transgender women and men. Well, now, that's helpful, isn't it? So a transgender woman is a male-to-female transition. And they've patiently explained to us, that there is a great deal of natural variation in physical size and ability among humans, both male and female humans. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I really appreciate the NCAA taking their time to explain to us that there are tall women and short women and tall men and short men and big men and small men, and big women and small women, and athletically gifted women and athletically gifted men. I really appreciate the patient explanation here, uh, because prior to that, you and I would not have, uh, you know, internalize that observation, a male-to-female transgender woman may be small and slight, even if she's not on hormone blockers or taking estrogen. It is important not to overgeneralize. The assumption that all male-bodied people are taller, stronger, and more highly skilled in a sport than all female-bodied people is not accurate. It continues. And once again, what a wonderful clarification, this is uh, for, you know, me and you, right? Because if anyone has the moral authority to pontificate about athletics, it would be the NCAA, wouldn't it? Uh, furthermore, I, I, I want you guys to go look something up for me. There is an individual by the name of Hannah Muncy, M-O-U-N-C-E-Y, who plays uh, for the Australian men's handball team, Uh, but is now playing for the Australian women's handball team and played Australian rules rules football between transitioning and switching to women's handball. So this individual now plays women's handball. There is a video of uh, Hannah Muncy on the field, with the other women in the division. I want you to go look at that. It's very enlightening. And our friend Rachel McKinnon, a biologically male college professor who identifies as a transgender woman and uh, subsequently won a women's cycling world championship in October in the women's Sprint 35 to 39 age bracket at the 2018 UCI Masters Track Cycling World Championships in Los Angeles. Isn't that interesting that cycling also starts Masters at 35? (laughs) Masters at 35. Oh, shit. Masters ought to be 50, as far as I'm concerned. Masters ought to be 50. Uh. It's thirty in jiu-jitsu. What in the hell? And then like masters two, masters three, masters five, masters, like masters nine. Seven. You know, that's like belts. They got purple and blue and and indigo and midnight blue and all these things, so that everybody can win first place, right? You could enter a powerlifting meet. I don't know about now, but I got mad a long time ago because. You could enter a powerlifting meet in submasters, men's, drug-free, uh, raw, raw or geared, right? So what happened was I was announcing this meet, and there were there were 125, and I I vaguely remember these numbers 125 people in the meet. And there were so many divisions that there were 104 first-place trophies. (laughs) Now, I may be off a few here. 104 first-place trophies. And I I was actually reading the results of this thing. Blah, 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 first place. Blah, 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 first place. Blah, 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 first place. At about 75 awards into the deal, I said, let me take a second here to point out the fact that if everyone wins first place, no one won first place. And uh, they didn't ask me back. <laughs> that was the last meet I announced <laughs> in, in Texas. Oh, God almighty. That was, that was funny. Uh, so anyway, uh, Rachel McKinnon here uh, uh, was quoted in USA Today arguing against against requiring biological males to suppress testosterone as a requirement for competing against women. Now, isn't that astonishing? She's actually, uh, well, Rachel is actually arguing against the requirement for, for biological males to suppress testosterone for competing against women. Let that soak in just a second, kiddos. Quote, we cannot have a woman legally recognized as a trans woman in society and not be recognized that way in sports. Although she doesn't really mention her reasoning there. McKinnon told USA Today, focusing on performance advantage is largely irrelevant because this is a rights issue we shouldn't be worried about trans people taking over the Olympics. We should be worried about their fairness and human rights instead. I, I see you shaking your heads. So let me read this again. This is just, it, this is daft. And, uh, and, and see, once here again, they are relying you to just nod your head in agreement because this is such lunacy. Focusing on performance advantage is largely irrelevant because this is a rights issue. We shouldn't be worried about trans people taking over the Olympics. We should be worried about their fairness and human rights instead. In other words, why compete? Because that's what that means. Why would there be a competition? Why have a women's division? And as I said last week, those of you who are interested in maintaining women's sports competition had better arrive at the conclusion very soon that you're going to have to do this. We can't do it for you. You're going to have to be mad about it. You're going to have to tell people that you don't think it's fair and that you're not going to go along with it and you're not going to sit down and shut up and be sweet and kind and nice while somebody else takes this away from you. They're not taking it away from me. They're taking it away from you. And it's time to stand up on your hind legs and do something about it. Otherwise, it's going away. There is no other. If Rachel McKinnon's analysis here is correct, y'all are done. And this has to be dealt with now. Okay? So, that having been said... I thought what we would do today is dive in to the neuromuscular efficiency uh, situation because it directly relates to what we've talked about before. Neuromuscular efficiency, uh, uh, very quickly, is the ability of the uh, muscle, of the motor units of the muscle, the the smallest components of the muscle of the neuromuscular system. One motor neuron and all of the muscle fibers that neuron is attached to, that it innervates. Neuromuscular efficiency is the ability to call motor units into contraction rapidly. Right. Um, Let's say you have the ability to in a very short period of time, call 30% of your motor units into contraction in, say, the space of a half second. That means you're not very explosive. Uh, in contrast, if you have the ability to call 65 70% of your motor units into contraction in that same very short period of time, then you are what we call explosive. And your neuromuscular efficiency is higher than that of a person with a lower with a less efficient ability to cause motor units to enter into contraction. Voluntarily, right now, okay? This test, uh, the test called the standing vertical jump, is a very reliable indicator of neuromuscular efficiency. Uh, And briefly, the standing vertical jump test is where... You measure the distance, and this is using a device called a Vertec, or it can be used by a chalked hand on a wall. You're measuring the difference between the test subject's upraised hand standing flat-footed and the test subject's height of the upraised hand at the top of a jump, at the top of a, a, a rebound initiated stretch reflex jump up in the air and uh, the, the test is valuable in that the downward part, the eccentric component of a, of a standing vertical jump or any, any stretch reflex jump uh, takes a little bit longer than the upward phase, the concentric phase. The phase that produces the knee, hip, ankle extension, and therefore the phase that accelerates your body's mass up off of the ground. And uh, the time in which this takes place is less than a half second. I don't have the actual data on it, but uh, my observations of people doing this for years indicates to me that it's probably .3, .35 seconds, the phase of the, of the jump that actually is the part that accelerates the body's mass off of the ground. The downward part, a stretch reflex, and try to jump up in the air without doing this. It's built into your nervous system, into your DNA. This is just the way humans do this. Uh, the downward phase, which takes a little bit longer than that, is uh, functions essentially is a signal for the more efficient recruitment of motor units into contraction during the concentric phase. So the downward stretch reflex tells the muscles, tells the neuromuscular system, we're about to require a strong concentric contraction to jump up in the air. So you lower yourself stretch the muscles out, and then shorten them violently. And the distance that you are carried up into the air by your concentric contraction, that thing that takes place in 0.3 seconds, third of a second maybe, is a direct measurement of how much of your muscle mass, How, another way to say how many of your motor units, got recruited into contraction in that very, very short period of time. The more motor units you can recruit into contraction in a very short period of time, the more explosive you are. And you can see how this is true. Uh, explosive ability, as it turns out, is largely untrainable. Uh, standing vertical jumps improve by 10 to 15% most of the time, exceptionally good Strength and conditioning programs might generate a 20% increase in standing vertical jump, but no one doubles their ability to standing vertical jump. That only happens on the Internet, and it doesn't occur in real life. Point 0.3 seconds is not a very long period of time, and if you are able to generate enough force in point three seconds worth of concentric contraction to carry your body's own mass up into the air a distance measured at the top of the upraised hand of 36 inches, then you are a freak. You are an exceptional, talented athlete. That ability cannot be trained And it cannot be modified, as it turns out, much by anabolic steroids and testosterone either. This is one of the things that happens in utero. This is part of that baseline that males acquire that females don't. Because neuromuscular efficiency is a function of early exposure in the womb to testosterone. It changes more than just little boys and little girls' TTs. It changes their neuromuscular machinery and makes men inherently more explosive. Now, there are overlap, right? Where'd my new drawing go, right? See, there's overlap. See the overlap? We understand there's overlap. There are exceptional women. There are less than exceptional men. But by and large, the generalized difference in neuromuscular efficiency between men and women is quite profound. And this is evidenced by the average men's and average women's vertical jump. Average men's vertical jump is 22 inches. Average women's is 14. Likewise, the men's records are 46 and 30 respectively, 46 and 30, 30 being the women's vertical jump, standing vertical jump record. It's quite a bit of difference, and it's proportional to the average difference, you might notice. Uh, In other words, the best woman that's ever been tested only jumped 30 inches compared to the best man who's ever been tested who jumped 46. Now, I don't know what else you need to know, okay? Okay to make the point that neuromuscular efficiency is uh, bequeathed to a person through things that are not their own efforts. All right? You can't train a standing vertical jump, very much. And there'll probably be somebody post on the YouTube comments about you wanting to visit their website where they can take you from an 18 to a 36. If you don't have anything to do right now, go ahead and go to the website, and you'll find that they're not talking about a standing vertical jump, a counter-movement jump with no step. We're not talking about jumping up on a box. We're not talking about jumping over a car on a dead run. We're not talking about any of these other things. We're talking about the largely untrainable, largely unpracticable standing vertical jump. So there are differences between men and women. You kind of knew that, all right? There are going to be people that insist that there aren't, and these people are fools, fools, and they're liars. If they really know what's going on and they continue to say that, they're liars, okay? Skipping ahead, we know that there are differences between men and women's physical performance capacities as a result of that. And what are those differences? And what do they have to do with training? Training men and training women, by and large, are two completely different things. All right? Now, If you're trying to compare a 65-year-old man with an 18-year-old college scholarship female athlete, that is not the kind of thing that uh, we're talking about here because, once again, the overlap map that I've just modified for you with my green highlighter, not a crayon – shows that there are in fact overlap we're not saying there's not any overlap given the fact that uh we're talking about averages here when people walk in your gym if a 28 year old woman walks in your gym and a 28 year old man walks in your gym what are you going to do differently between the two Uh, because this has to be addressed if you're going to be an effective coach of strength for these two people. They're not the same. They can't be treated the same. Women, and and the reason for this is neuromuscular efficiency. As a general rule, women can produce a higher percentage set of five of their one rep max than men, as a general rule. In fact, it's so general a rule that it's essentially always the case, that a female will be able to do a five-rep max within perhaps 3% of her one-rep max. In other words, if uh, a 28-year-old woman comes in the gym and she's benching 105 pounds for for a max single, slow, grindy max single... You can get her to do one. she will be able to do a set of five with a hundred pounds, maybe a hundred and one, maybe a hundred and two pounds and This is just what happens. I've been in this business for forty two years, and I'm telling you that this is what occurs. This is not speculation this is the this is the phenomenon that we see in those of you women know this. You've observed it about your own training. You might have wondered why this is the case since your husband, if he's benching 350, he can only do maybe 305 for a triple. It's a, it's a different thing entirely. The fact that he's doing 300 and you're doing 100 ought to tell you something. But just in case it doesn't, uh, measure the difference between your One rep max, and your set of five and his. All right, if he's doing 350, I'd say his set of five is probably no more than, oh, maybe 275, 280, 285 at the most. His triple will be 315, 310, maybe 310 on a set of, on a a single at 350. Yours, on the other hand, will never look like that. It will never get that way with training either. You will always be able to do a higher percentage of your one rep max for a set of five. And the reason for this is that a one rep max for a woman and a one rep max for a man are two different neuromuscular events. A one rep max for a male is probably about a 97% 98 possibly 90, 98%, 96 to 98 percent neuromuscular recruitment event, motor unit recruitment event. A man might be able to, re- to recruit 97% of all of his motor units into a one rep max effort. Whereas for a female, it's probably somewhere between 85 and 90, and that is all. They're profoundly different events, and this has to be taken into account because this also means that a heavy set of five for a male and a heavy set of five for a female are, are also, they're also two different neuromuscular events and they have different training effects on the person doing the lifting. So a heavy set of five for a male, three heavy sets of five across, represents the training of more motor units than three sets of five across for a female. This is a material fact that cannot be ignored. Now, what typically we will do is... uh, keep men on sets of five all the way through their novice linear progression but after a couple of months when things start to slow down for females what we will do is switch to triples we will go from three sets of five to five sets of three because sets of three represent for her probably the equivalent or close enough to it Uh, motor unit recruitment event that a set of five does for a male. And that may not even be true, but we have found through practice that going to sets of three gets us further along in the novice linear progression, adding a little weight every workout, three days a week, than it does to leave her at sets of five she'll get stuck at sets of 5 whereas she won't get stuck at sets of 3. So we one of the one of the important things that we'll do different is move over to sets of 3. This allows us to more effectively train the people who are paying us to train them. We are responsible for knowing this. And if you don't understand this, you're not going to be an effective coach. Okay? This has, so this has, this kind of thing has ramifications all throughout women's training. Uh, Three sets of five for a guy when it's heavy is a hell of a bunch of work. All right. Even five sets of three for a female is not quite as much work. Now, this has some interesting implications for rest between sets. Now, why do we need to change numbers of reps? Let's think about this clearly. Sets of five are not as hard for women as they are for men. Sets of five for women are, in fact, not hard enough to continue driving a stress recovery adaptation cycle for much longer than a couple of months. When we first start out, it's just fine. But soon we need to maintain the efficiency of the stress recovery adaptation cycle, and that's facilitated by going up in intensity, by going from fives to threes, which are heavier than fives, and maintaining the same amount of volume by going to five sets as well as three. And I mentioned rest time between these sets. When you have, uh, uh, say, a late-stage strong novice, man doing 4.05 for three sets of five across, his rest time between those sets might be 10 or 15 minutes. There are probably not any instances of women requiring any more than five minutes at most between those work sets. Maybe, probably three minutes is a closer, a closer estimate because of the fact that even a set of three is not as fatiguing an, an event as a set of five for a male. They're not lifting as much weight. The weight they are lifting is not as big a percentage of their one rep max. It's just not as taxing. And as a result of this, uh, women should not rest as long between, sw- between sets as, as men must do. This also has some implications for how frequently women can train. Women can probably train more frequently than men if they need to. And in terms of training the deadlift, we usually recommend that, especially in the novice phase, that, that men only do one heavy set of five deadlifts. Because for men, the deadlift is such a fatiguing event that more than one set of deadlifts is not productive for people in that phase of their training, that phase of their level of training advancement. Women, on the other hand, can always do sets across deadlifts. Two, three sets across does not represent the same kind of uh, a killer stress that it would for men because, once again, women are not recruiting as many motor units into any contraction as men are. And this is a, a terribly important thing to keep in mind. So there are very, very important Reasons why women must be trained differently than men. Now, here's another ramification of this thing, and I had to learn this the hard way a long time ago. Uh, When you are taking, you're coaching a woman at a power meet or a strength lifting meet or even an Olympic weightlifting meet, you have to understand that since she can do a higher percentage of her one RM for a set of five, that this means quite plainly that her first attempt and her third attempt will be much closer together than will a man's. A male's first attempt, in general, should be uh, a weight that he can triple. A male's second attempt should be a weight that he knows he can single easily. And the third attempt should be, if if conditions permit that day, an attempt at a 1RM PR, all right? Uh, or at least uh, should be the max 1RM he, think he thinks he can do that day. For a female competitor, things are, are quite a bit different. I took a lady to a a meet a long time ago and we'd been our training had been going pretty well and i didn't know this at the time i was young and dumb and i did not understand the important things i'm telling you right now she opened her deadlift at 100 kilos 220 and just blew it off the floor just absolutely exploded the thing up off the floor And I thought, God almighty, she's going to do 242 today. So uh, I took her up to 237, 107 and a half kilos, because at the time powerlifting was uh, uh, still mired in the two and a half kilo jump thing. And I don't know, are there any federations that have gotten enough sense to use a one-kilo rule in powerlifting? Don't think so. You guys listen carefully to this because that's stupid, all right? Uh, I took her up to 107 and a half for her second attempt, and that thing was stapled to the floor. Wouldn't move. Got one deadlift for the day. And that's my fault. That was my fault for not understanding that if the there's a two-and-a-half-kilo rule that women go two-and-a-half-kilo jumps only. You don't do seven-and-a-half-kilo jumps. That's stupid. 231 might possibly, eh, probably not, probably would not have gone, Yeah, probably would have gone for... For a second attempt. Uh, but 237 uh, would have never gone that day. She would have ended up with a second attempt at 231. And that was my fault. We should have gone 220. We should have gone 100 kilos, 102, and 105. That's all we should have done. And I learned that that day something was different. I had a another... Uh, woman training in the gym with me all along about the same time as I was waking up to this effect. and I wanted to see how many uh, incline benches she could do. So we loaded, oh, something like 85 pounds on the bar. She's pretty strong. Uh, because I had noticed that men would reach failure at a set of five and that and that that after, that, you could give that same male a forced rep or two. And a forced rep is where you help them up with the negative and allow them to control the eccentric back down. And I found, and and still hold the position, that, that most men with a max set of five can control the eccentric descent of a sixth rep pretty well, but that the 7th rep is going to crash on them without because they are fatigued and they're used up. <clears throat> I put 85 on the bar for her. She, I, I knew this was going to be all she could do for a set of 5. She did 5 reps, tried to give her the 6th, tried a 6th. I had to help her up with the 6th. I helped her with the concentric phase of 13 more reps, and she easily controlled the descent on all 13 of those reps. And I finally just got tired of standing there, and I put the bar in the rack. She controlled 13 reps on the way down, where a male could have done two. This is a direct effect a direct look into the neuromuscular efficiency of the reps that had preceded that set of five. None of them were very hard, whereas for him, they would have been enough to completely fatigue the system so that two forced reps would be all he could have done. So keep all these facts in mind. If you are training women, you have to understand the profound differences – in physical capacity between men and women, you have to understand the effects that these variables play with respect to your programming for them, for sets and reps, for rest times, and for ultimate PRs, and the way you're going to plan for new PRs, and the way that all of training is is arranged. It is These things are extremely important. And it all goes back to the to the primary observation that men and women respond differently to physical stress and adapt differently to physical stress because they all have they have different baseline levels of neuromuscular efficiency and that that is not a function of current levels of testosterone it's a function of in utero levels of testosterone so yes the IOC is wrong Yes, the NCAA is wrong. Yes, the NCAA is wrong. Yes, all of these bodies that are pandering to politicians and activists are wrong. Some things are just the way they are. The sun comes up in the east, not the west, not even the northeast. It comes up in the east, depending on your latitude, of course. And you uh, must... You are responsible for all of this stuff because the facts are the facts and playing games with yourself and lying to yourself and lying to other people is not productive. So that's podcast number two. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, We're planning on these every week, and we would like for you to join us. Look at the links below. There's an audio download. You can listen to this in the car. You can watch it here. And as always, if you've got any suggestions for questions you'd like addressed, and I'm not talking about Ask Rip questions. I'm talking about real questions, not like my movies and, you know, favorite color and shit like that. But actual questions, uh, turn them into us, and we'll, we'll eventually get around to doing those. Thank Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. <laughs>